0: The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents Layer of the Shadow Men, Episode 2 Breakfast was a platter of eggs and bacon with a couple of burnt rolls. Elizabeth ate at a round table in the parlor, which was dominated by a vase full of nondescript wildflowers. All around her, there were girls, four and all, covered in simple floral dresses, and motoring through conversation. Mama, Mama, I can't button this button. Mama, can you help me? Don't step on my toes, Caroline. Mama, may I have you a gram of Teresa? You eat one more apple and mama, you'll turn Caroline into one. Mama, Caroline stepped on my foot. Mama, the Did morning not. paper just got rained on. No, it didn't. Look, it's all wet. Just look at the edges. You can still read it. You can still read mama, it. Mama, she bookworm. dirtied my shoe. Look at it. On and on it went, a flurry of words and nervous energy, until, at last, Edna barged through the kitchen door, balancing a tray of coffee in her hand, and she hollered, "'You girls, hush now! You're disturbing our guest!' "'But mama!' "'Don't you but mama me! Take it outside, all y'all! Go on, get!' Like a gust of wind, Edna's words blew the girls out of the room. They chattered through the door, into the vestibule, and into the front yard. Even then, their crosstalk continued, an endless web of antagonism and reproach. "'Busy house you have,' said Elizabeth, smiling into the stream of coffee that poured into her cup. "'Those girls,' muttered Edna." If they ever stop their yappin', I'm callin' the coroner. They even talk in their sleep. Must be nice, said Elizabeth carefully, to have one who can't. Edna poured coffee, but the trickle slowed. She looked distracted by this comment. Then she nodded with recognition. Oh, she said. You mean Tiffany. Well, she ain't exactly mine. Elizabeth raised a brow. No? Life works in strange ways, don't it, though? said Edna. She set down the coffee pot and then, to Elizabeth's surprise, seated herself across the table. She yanked a cigarette out of her dress pocket and quickly lit it. My husband, God rest his soul, had a cousin. Lived up Connecticut way. How my good-for-nothing beau ever had well-to-do relatives, I'll never know. But there they were. Were? Edna waved her cigarette in the air, tracing a Z of smoke. It's a very sad story, not exactly small talk. Good, Elizabeth replied. I'm not exactly a small talk kind of girl. Edna's eyes twinkled. Well, I never met him, she resumed. The Duffs wouldn't be caught dead with the likes of me, but sure as shootin' they had real money, and they had themselves a daughter. She shook her head. Poor thing. Invalid from birth. Couldn't hear a foghorn if her head was stuck in it. They tried, Lord knows. Sent her to all the fancy schools, all the best doctors. But they weren't too smart about it, if you ask me. How so? Well, Edna glanced around the room. They thought they were doing the right thing. I believe that. But rich folk, you know how they are. Always making things more complicated than they need to be. They could have sent her to a school that taught her to talk. I've heard of them. I mean, she'd talk funny, but at least she could. She already knows what you're saying just by looking at you. So... Why not make her talk, too? Wouldn't that be better? Elizabeth turned her head sideways. Better than... Well, they taught her that hand-talking. With this, Edna flapped her hands in the air. Her fingers slapped against each other dramatically. Now, what good does that do? Who talks with their hands, except for babies and simpletons? And who is she going to talk with but for a couple other invalids? And I'll tell you, you won't find any hand talkers in Falcon County. No ma'am. But how did she come here? Well, if you ask me, they weren't exactly church-going people, those Duffs. You see, Mr. Duff, Tiffany's pa, I mean, he, he ran away with some girl. The maid, I hear. And the wife, she's the one who was my husband's kin. She was so broken hearted she took a handful of sleeping pills, never woke up. And I pray she made her amends because the Lord don't look too fondly on that. How awful, affirmed Elizabeth. So she was sent here? Sure was. Or more like we sent for her. Larry made arrangements soon as he heard. He felt bad knowing that she was all alone in the world. Not even a brother or sister to look after her. Five years now, out here, living with us. And you know what burns me up? We haven't heard one word from that lying, cheating paw of hers. He's probably wasting his fortune drinking champagne in Paris or something fancy like that. But what do I know? That's none of my business. And how has she fared? Tiffany? Oh, fine. Larry liked her. Probably spoiled her. She's a little bit sour. Not much fun to be around. Lucky thing is, she spends most of her time on a lonesome. Larry let her run around wherever she liked. Let her go free. Right up till the, uh, the cancer got him. And to be honest, I don't ask much of her, neither. Just some chores here and there. Not much you can do with a girl like that. Edna shrugged but she can't be blamed for hard times. I just leave her be. Elizabeth sipped her coffee in silence. Then she said, where does she go? Come again? When she roams about, where does she go? Edna laughed. It was a deep, throaty laugh, revealing several yellowed teeth. (laughs) If I to keep track of every damn whereabout of every girl under this roof, I'd lose my head. She pushed the chair out and stood up. (laughs) Pardon my French. Elizabeth smiled, then plucked a roll from the table. I'm afraid I'll have to be off, but thank you for the hospitality. Of course, said Edna, leaning against the kitchen door. We don't have much, but we know how to treat a stranger. Barnaby Pope stood by his plane, one leg crossed over the other, a jug in his hand. He wore the same outfit as before, but he looked different. The ebullient morning sunshine, the spring breeze that ruffled his scarf, flattered him. Barnaby cut a heroic figure against the blossoming green. Next to him stood a boy, a gawky adolescent, wearing overalls and a flat gray cap. His hands were stuffed deeply in his pockets, and his bare feet were stained from walking. Elizabeth strode toward them in her leather boots, and she greeted Barnaby with a smarmy smile. "'If that's moonshine,' she said, "'I want a swig.' Barnaby snickered. "'Just plain water,' he said. "'Alcohol and altitude don't really mix.' Ain't that right, Hawkeye?' "'The adolescent lowered his head in stoic agreement. "'As if to prove his theory, "'Barnaby raised the jug to his lips and drank heartily. "'Then he pointed to the plane. "'Ever ride in one of these?' "'Elizabeth looked away. "'The short answer is no.' "'Well, I can't reckon what a long answer would be.' "'The long answer,' said Elizabeth, sucking through her teeth, is that I've ridden two dirigibles, a herd of horses, and any boat that floats, but never an aeroplane. Huh. Barnaby extended his hands, gesturing for Elizabeth's satchel. Good thing you found yourself an ace. Elizabeth turned to Hawkeye. Would you call him an ace? The boy scratched the back of his neck, embarrassed to be addressed. After a pause... Barnaby spat meaningfully. I checked them coordinates, the ones on the note, and the way I see it, we have two ways we can go. Yes. First, we take the plane up, circle around, and land in a field just beyond yonder foothills. He raised a gloved finger toward the rolling woods. That'll set you back about ten dollars for fuel and time. I've seen that field. One of them companies bought it, but it's still empty. Never landed there myself, but plenty of runway, give or take some bumps. What's the other way? Walk about three hours through the woods. Might be some jagger bushes, but nothing to be afeard of. Ain't even mosquito season yet. And that'll cost you five, for the time and the, uh, (laughs) expertise. Elizabeth squinted at the rising sun. She let the satchel slide into her hand. I've been meaning to take a flight, she said. For better or worse, seems about time. Barnaby beamed. Wait till you see what you've been missing. Barnaby helped Elizabeth climb into the passenger seat. She had seen biplanes in pictures and films, and she'd spotted them in the skies above Pittsburgh, but never up close. She'd always been flummoxed by the idea of a pilot sitting in the rear— She sat low, self-conscious, as the big man lowered himself into the cockpit behind her. "'You should probably take that off,' he said. Elizabeth swiveled, trying to discern his meaning. "'Your hat,' he said. "'Unless you're fixin' to buy a new one. There's some headgear under the seat.' Elizabeth removed her cloche, letting her bobbed hair fall free. Cool air seeped through her scalp— and she briefly wondered what the back of her head looked like. Then she rooted around her feet for a cowl and pair of goggles, which she quickly strapped to her head. Elizabeth felt confined inside the leather covering and glass lenses, but she knew the feeling would subside. Hawkeye sprang into motion, heading to the front of the plane. For the first time, Elizabeth heard his gritty little voice, "'Mixter Rich!' throttle closed, brake set, switch off. Barnaby called back. Mixture rich, throttle closed, brake set, switch off. Contact, cried Hawkeye. Contact, Barnaby echoed. Hawkeye grabbed the propeller with both hands. He reared, then pushed the blade downward. It whirled to life until the propeller became a circular mirage. The young man bent over arms at his sides, and scampered off. The path was clear. Elizabeth's stomach sank. She watched the scenery roll past, slow and patient, as the plane wheeled into position. The hum of the engine overpowered her, but she somehow heard Barnaby's shout. She twisted, trying to see the pilot. His goggled eyes were wide with excitement. He gave her a thumbs-up, And then suddenly, the plane accelerated. The engine roared. Never had Elizabeth felt such intimate speed, such concentrated power. She sank against the seat, compressed by the unexpected force. Wind poured over her face. The horizon shifted. The ground dropped out of view. Elizabeth looked sideways, and the field fell away. The dirt road thinned. Scattered cottages shrank to the size of dollhouses. A water tower looked no larger than a chess piece. A herd of cows was just a splotch of black and white. A truck eased down a russet highway, patient as a snail. Even the mountains flattened. Entire ridges and cliffs looked no more formidable than the wrinkles of an old blanket. Bald spots opened up in the forest then a junkyard, then a glistening pond. Elizabeth lost her bearings. Cumulus clouds floated to her right and left. Hills undulated for untold miles, vanishing into a golden haze. The world looked less like a distant landscape sprawled out a thousand feet below, and more like dioramas crafted out of felt and clay. She could say nothing, her meager voice would be blown to oblivion. The minutes stretched. Without her pocket watch, Elizabeth had no idea how much time was passing. All she had were physical sensations, the gale whipping her face, the sun on her shoulders, and the relentless moan of the engine. The plane tilted. One pair of wings rose, the others sank. The scenery, now off kilter, curved steadily around them, and Elizabeth felt vertigo. The plane turned. Elizabeth's stomach tingled. She could feel the descent hurtling diagonally toward the earth. The ground swelled beneath them. The meadow looked placid at first, a soft cushion of land. But as it came closer, the surface turned pimply and rough. Flat-looking grass suddenly thickened into tufts. Elizabeth sat up, suppressing her panic. The plane swooped low, wheels thumped against topsoil. Everything jostled. Elizabeth felt the resistance of the tail-dragger, the gradual inertia. The plane quivered over rocks and potholes, and finally drew to a stop. Elizabeth sat there, paralyzed, as the propeller continued to circle, and the engine gargled beneath its hood. Then it stopped. Everything was quiet, except for Barnaby's voice. "'Well, how'd she treat you?' Elizabeth tried to turn her head, and she touched the rim of her cockpit with trembling fingers, but she couldn't find a single word to say. Barnaby bellowed with laughter. He ripped himself out of the seat and landed in the grass." I'll take your silence as a compliment, he declared, because I have a feeling that Elizabeth Crown ain't used to being speechless. Barnaby helped her out of the plane. She was shaken, euphoric. Barnaby cinched her waist and easily lowered her to the ground. Elizabeth dug out her field canteen, drank thirstily, and sputtered, I... I see the appeal. Barnaby laughed again. He pulled his own rucksack out of the plane and slung it over his shoulders. He adjusted the straps, retied his bootlaces, and stretched his forearms, a manly display of preparation. All around them rose the hills, speckled with green and quiet as a graveyard. Get a good look, said Barnaby. Won't be here much longer. Elizabeth knitted her brows. What do you mean? All this land's been bought up. This time next year, it'll be full of holes. Coal mines, you mean? That's right. There's lots of coal out there, and it'll be worth a pretty penny. Even now, after a lifetime in Pittsburgh, where the skies were always blackened and the rivers stank like turpentine, Elizabeth could not imagine the violation of such pristine forests. She tried to picture roads cut through the trees, stumps and trunks decaying in the sun, the dark mines burrowing into denuded hillsides, but her imagination failed her. Couldn't they find some place less scenic? Barnaby scoffed. <laughs> they did, but there's unions now. You've heard of Matuan, haven't you? Elizabeth felt a lump in her throat. Yes, of course she'd heard of Meituan, that remote little town where company thugs had gotten into a shootout with coal miners. The papers had called it a massacre. Somehow Elizabeth hadn't thought of those headlines in the days before she'd hired a car to take her here. Until this moment, the wilderness had beguiled her with its beauty. She'd forgotten about the ugly reports of murder, kidnapping, sabotage, torture, Soon, this same land would serve the needs of millionaires. The bosses would round up an army of scabs, and they'd start all over, ripping the geology inside out. Workers would carve it up, miles and miles away from the strikes and agitators that had made this region so infamous. Your coordinates are that away, said Barnaby, resting Elizabeth from her thoughts. Best we get a move on. They slipped into the woods. The shade was comforting at first, but soon the trees crowded in and Elizabeth plunged through branches. Thorns tugged at her skirt and nettles raked her arms. They zigzagged up the hill, improvising switchbacks until the ledge became too steep. Elizabeth groped saplings to haul herself upward. Barnaby was a capable climber, and he jammed his boots into the soil to hold himself fast. When Elizabeth struggled, he held out a hand and pulled her up. Still, she appreciated his restraint. There was nothing forced about his chivalry. When she needed help, he offered it, nothing more. A boulder bulged from the slope, and Elizabeth took a moment to catch her breath. As she drank from her canteen, she looked down, They were higher than she'd realized, and the drop was precipitous. A pebble rolled off the edge and thumped its way down, into the distant underbrush. This was no place to lose her footing. One false step could shatter her. What the hay? Barnaby crouched low. He looked straight up, and Elizabeth followed his gaze. She looked through the dots of foliage, but all she saw was layers of loamy brown. "'There's somebody up there,' Barnaby whispered. The pilot suddenly stripped off his bag and opened its flap. He pulled a metallic mass into the light. Elizabeth recognized the hammer of a revolver. "'There's no need for that,' she said. Barnaby kept his hand in place, but the body of the gun remained hidden. "'I hope not,' he answered." Elizabeth leaned into the earth, aping his posture. Are we close? To the coordinates, I mean. Close enough. Barnaby licked his lips tensely. You don't think... I mean, it wouldn't be... No, said Elizabeth. It's not your shadow friend, anyway. But I think it's the next best thing. Barnaby furrowed his brow. You know who it is? I have a hunch... Friend of yours? In a way. You want to call up, make sure it's him? No, said Elizabeth. It wouldn't do any good. Before Barnaby could ask another question, Elizabeth lurched forward. She ascended, sliding through globs of mud, yanking at exposed roots. And then she saw it a figure dressed in faded gray, skinny and slouching hair matted around her face, a simple farmer's frock, pinprick eyes, a terse mouth. Tiffany Duff. Elizabeth raised a hand, a gentle wave. The girl stared back, expressionless. She looked like a mannequin, motionless, except for the rustle of her dark hair. Elizabeth waited, hoping the girl would beckon her, smile with recognition, Signal that all was well, this was the meeting place. Instead, Tiffany leaned over. She picked something up from the ground. Something flat, the size of a roof shingle. Elizabeth saw the wood frame, the black rectangle. A slate, the kind used in schoolhouses. The girl flipped it over. Her tiny eyes flared. There, in stark white letters... The slate read, I told you to come alone. You've been listening to Layer of the Shadow Men, Episode Two The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music by Naoya Sakamata, Sixamatic, and Eric Satie. For more information about the exciting world of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net. And if you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting this programming at the Elizabeth Crown Patreon page.